as you can tell by the graphic behind me, we're going to begin a, a new series tonight. And it's, um, I, was, I was praying before the service, and it's about the living Word of God, obviously. And uh, my, I was raised in a home that um, was weird uh, for a number of reasons. But, but my mother had, had a friend that was an exotic animal, owned an exotic animal store. She wasn't exotic, but she sold exotic animals. And when she couldn't find somebody to sell one of these two, she always knew she could call my mother. I had a younger brother, my youngest brother, the only one that's still living, uh, he, and he collected animals. He collected one particular type of animals, snakes. And I don't mean garter snakes and green snakes, I mean pythons and boa constrictors. Now, when you've got a python or a boa constrictor alive in your house somewhere, you're aware of it. And in fact, one time, and I was, I'd moved out by then, uh, he comes to my mother and says, uh, Mom, I got something to tell you. Freddie, or whatever the snake's name was, he got loose. And er, the whole atmosphere of the house changed because now you've got a python somewhere in that house. And the story of what happened took several days, and it was very typical of my mother how this thing played out. And uh, the police got involved. It was search of the neighborhood and found out Freddie was still in my brother's closet. But the point is this. If you've got something alive in your house, you're aware of it. If there's something in your life that's alive, you're aware of it. But dead things around you, you may kind of know they're there, but you don't pay much attention to it. So the question is, what is the Word of God in your life? Is it a living Word, or is it just a book you have on your shelf? Or something you cart with you to church, and nowadays people don't cart a book. A lot of times they bring a pad or a phone or something like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I use that. I, I study from one of those now. So we're going to begin to look at the, at the Word of God and the living Word of God and, and look at it from a personal point of view. It's a time to, to reflect on our own lives. And the question we're going to begin to ask tonight is, what does it mean to you? What is the Word of God to you? What is it, why has God given it to us? What does He intend to do by it? But what does He intend to do, do by it? But what does it mean to you? To, to many people, it's just a myth. It's just a fable. In fact, most young people, I was trying to look this up on the latest Barna survey, but most young people today, even amazingly Christian kids raised in church, they, don't, they believe the Bible is just some kind of story. And, of course, they learned that from their parents. <laughs> so what does the Bible mean to you? So many people, at least in the world, believe it's just a myth or it's a fable. It's not relevant. It's like Aesop's fables. It's like, it's like, or at the very best, it's like some other religious book like the Koran. It's just like every other book. And so some people look at it that way. Some people look at it, in fact, when I was in college, I wasn't a Christian when I was in college, we studied the Bible in, in a, in a um, uh, Western uh, uh, civic course where it was just one example of, of style of, leader, of literature. So some people think it's a book of literature, and, and it's in, especially in some of the more, the, the more o- older styles like King James and some of those, it can, the, the Psalms can be beautiful literature, beautiful poems, and Song of Solomon is a beautiful poem, and these things. So it's, 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 to some, it's a, it's a book of literature. To some, it's a history book. It's got, it helps, you know, back up some of the other sources of history. 
But that's mostly in the world. What I'm concerned about is to many Christians, it's not a whole lot more. To many Christians, the Bible is something, a place they turn to for comfort, something they turn to for encouragement, something they turn to to feel better about themselves. And, and examples of those things is, is you know, is uh, uh, having your favorite scripture on your refrigerator. And there's nothing wrong with this. But if you stop there, there's a problem. So the question is, what is it to you? I mean, some people have scripture boxes where they pull a scripture out for the day. Nothing wrong with that. But in many cases, we're using the scripture for something to comfort us. So there are books out there. We have them in our bookstore. Nothing wrong with them that have scriptures divided up by subject. So if you're dealing with fear, here's a bunch of scriptures on fear. And I have collected scriptures on on subjects like that. So there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all we're using the Bible for, then we're using the Bible as a resource for our purposes. And that's where most Christians, I believe, are. The Bible to them is a resource that I turn to for what I need. And that's part of what God intended by it, but it's not all that God intended by it, and it will have limited effect in your life. So some people put verses on the refrigerator. My wife has them all over the refrigerator. Scripture cards, they're, they're, they're part of the fruit of the Word, but it's not the root of what the Word's for. So for them... The Bible is just a resource that's used for our purposes. And here's the problem with that. We can pick and choose to use it for what we want. So we, what we do is we collect our favorite scriptures. You have, you have, I got favorite scriptures. They're, they're ones that, by and large, tell me things I like. Okay? But there's scriptures in there that'll tell you things you don't like. And they're often the ones we need to hear. And we control whether we're hearing that. Now, if you have children, young children, you know, you'll know what I'm talking about because they're going to eat, want to eat the foods that taste good. And they're not going to want to eat the foods that don't taste good. And somehow God's designed it so the foods that taste good are not necessarily the best ones for us, and the foods that don't taste good are by and large the ones that are good for us. Now, I've learned a secret on that. You can change your appetite and your taste. And you've all heard me tell the story of my, my battle with lima beans. Now, when I grew up, you know, we, were, we, we lived in, in outside of Philadelphia, but a lot of the vegetables came from New Jersey. And New Jersey's soil is very sandy, so their vegetables are very large. So when I talk about lima beans, I'm not talking about something like that. I'm talking about something like that. That's why I said they were going to choke me. So, but my point is this, I've learned to love lima beans. So you're, you can change your taste. But the point is this, when, when we use the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with doing this, if that's, but if that's where you stop, you're missing it. You're, we're using the Bible as our resource to get what we think we need. And most of what we think we need is based on our emotions and where we think we need to get to. But we're, so we're going to talk about this tonight, begin to talk about this tonight. And here's the, the opening point. Whatever the Word of God is to you, Whatever the Word of God is to you determines what God is able to do for you, what God is able to do in you, and what God is able to do through you. Your attitude towards the Word of God determines what God can do for you, the limits of what God can do for you, the limits of what God can do in you, and the limits of what God can do through you. The Bible says God can do all things, but it says to him who believes. 
God can do all things, but He can't force all those things on you or in you or even through you. So He has to give us a means by which He can impact our lives, and that primary means is the Word of God. So the attitude we have, so if we look at this Word as just a resource, then all God can do is use this as a resource, but even God's limited because we're the ones that decide what resources we like and what resources we don't like. I can tell you already like this <laughs> by your response. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <laughs> My Bible opened to Lamentations. That's about weeping, so maybe that's where we ought to stay. No, this is good for us tonight. You're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the Brussels sprout group. Then the, you know, you're the group that wants to grow. It, 1 Thessalonians was here this afternoon. Where is it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1685. Okay. Now, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica and, and, and he's trying to encourage them with something. And so we're going to pick up in verse 10. He says, You are witnesses. And Paul was imprisoned at the time. He was in prison for preaching the gospel, and and because he was such a powerful voice, and because he had founded so many of these churches, what happened to him affected them. I mean, if, if, if you discover suddenly, I'm arrested for preaching the gospel, that can have an effect on this church. Some people would be ashamed that, well, our pastor's in jail, so I'm not sure I'm going to that church. Well, it depends on why he's in jail. But, but so what was happening is because Paul, who had preached the gospel, they'd seen so many dramatic things happen, he was now suffering persecution and he was jailed. He was trying to encourage them. And so he says, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Notice he's saying a father exhorts, a father comforts, but a father charges you, gives you instructions as a father does his children. Why? Verse 12. So that you may walk, that means conduct your life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is what I wanted to get to. For this reason... We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which works effectively, which also effectively works in you who believe. We're going to take this apart, because there are several elements in this we need to see. Because what Paul is doing is commending them for their steadfastness. And he's saying your steadfastness is because of how you receive the Word of God, how you looked at the Word of God. And that's what we're talking about. So he says, for this reason, I'm thankful to God without ceasing because you received the Word of God. So I want to talk about that first of all, what it means to receive words. Because receiving something implies more than just believing it. Because many people hear the Word of God, and they believe the God with their mind. They believe the Word of God with their mind. And that's a lot of reasons why people that are in faith don't seem to be getting any results, because they're believing it from their mind. But Jesus never said, if you believe in your head. He said, if you believe in your heart. It's what we do with our heart that affects things. And we talked about that in the series we just finished on walking by faith. 
So to receive something implies more than just believing in something. So I, you know, and when I've taught the course on renewing the mind, one of the examples I use in there is about, is about receiving thoughts. And I use the example of a, of a FedEx or a US, U, U, UPS man shows up at your door and rings your doorbell and there's a package in his hands. And so when he's standing at the door, even though that package has your name on it, you haven't received it yet. You can believe that package is yours. You can, you can tell your wife that package is yours. But he's not going to hand it over to you until you've done what? You've signed for it. And when you sign for it, you've now received it. And when you've received it, it's more than just believing it. It's now in your house. It's now part of your life. It's now you've embraced it. You now hold on to it. So to receive the Word is not just believing in it. You can sit here tonight, go through this entire class tonight or, or session tonight, and say, yes, amen, yes, amen, and not receive any of it. It can go in one ear and out the other. In fact, I've learned in, year, in the years I've been a pastor that a lot of times when, when, when the congregation is the most excited, they're getting the least. We've had on, on Sunday mornings, we've had some serious messages lately. And, and except with one exception this last Sunday at the end of the service, by and large it's been very quiet in here. And that encourages me. Because that means either you're asleep or you're really listening instead of just enjoying it. It's fine to get stirred up by the Word of God. It's fine to have it preached to us. But, but to receive it, we have to open our ears and our minds and our hearts to let it in. And I'm breaking this down because most of the time we think just listening is receiving it. Just reading is receiving it. I don't know about you. I can read this Word and my mind's 14 other places. Because I've read it so many times, I can just, the words can go through your mind, but your mind is somewhere else. I'm not receiving it. And I have to, I've had to learn to bring my mind back and make myself read it. Sometimes I just make myself read it out loud. I'll start asking myself questions about it. Because I don't, this is too precious to just let it go in one ear and out the other. And we're going to see why. So he says, you receive the Word of God. So to receive something implies more than believing. It, it implies that you're accepting ownership of it. And here's something else you're accepting. Responsibility for it. One of the reasons we don't really receive the Word of God is somehow inside we know that if I receive it, I'm now responsible to do it. We're like the child that's been, tell, been told over and over again to clean their room. And they figure if you don't know they heard it, they're not responsible for it. And we do that with God. The only difference is, as we'll see as we get into this, God knows what you've heard and what you haven't heard. And so we want to stick our fingers in our ears. And so we're good at sitting in church saying, yes, amen, yes, amen. I didn't hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. Because really, receiving it doesn't happen until we accept responsibility for it. And that's where a lot of the struggle is. It's with our will. So, first of all, he said, I'm commending you because you received the Word of God which you heard from us. So they heard it, but not only did they heard it, they received it. And in order to receive it, you, it has to be intentional. Receiving it doesn't happen by accident. 
Just like when the FedEx man comes to your door, you've got to intentionally go to the door and answer the door. You've got to actively participate in the process. You've got to open your door. You've got to put your hands out. Then you have to sign for it. Because it's not yours until you've signed for it. The same is true with this process of the Word of God. You have to intentionally... See, when I would come to church, and still when I come to church, I would come, God, what is it you have for me tonight? What do you have for me tonight? I believe wherever the Word of God is preached, there's something you have to share with me tonight. And I want to come with an attitude, because it's, we're going to get into this in a few minutes. It's God who wants to speak to me. And so I have, you have to be intentional about this. And, and, and what you do with this process, again, determines what you get out of it, and what you get out of it determines what God can do in your life through this. Now, God can do some things just because He wants to, and some things happen for us just by accident. But if you're really going to grow in your faith, really going to grow in the Word of God, if you're really going to mature and into the Christian that God's intended you to be, it's going to only happen as you receive that Word of God in you and allow it to work in you as we're going to begin to see so, first of all, they, had to, they heard it, and then they had to receive it. And then the next thing is, and you welcomed it. You welcomed it. You welcome, welcoming someone into your house, welcoming something means you're glad it's there, you're grateful that it's there. So, I mean, I've had some unwelcome visitors. Sometimes on a Saturday morning, you see them coming down the, the, the street, and there's two of them, and one of them's got a black tie on and a white shirt, you know, and they may knock at your door, and they may be visiting you, but they may not be welcome. But you may have a relative comes, you may have, you know, whatever comes, and you just can't wait for them to get there. They're welcome. You want them. You're anticipating them coming. So they welcome the Word. They welcome the Word. They wel- and what did they welcome it as? They welcomed it not as the Word of men, They welcomed it not as the word of men. If I'm up here and my purpose is to share with you my ideas, I'm going to go back and practice law. Because I can do better at that than I can do sharing my own ideas. The biggest responsibility I have or any pastor has or any teacher has is to make sure they're sharing with you what God wants at this time as best we know how. So you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as as it is in truth... The Word of God, which also effectually works in us who believe. So there's three parts to that we're going to look at, and we may not get it done tonight. First of all, you have to receive the Word. We've talked a little bit about that. Secondly, you have to receive it as the Word of God and what that means. And then you have to let it effectively, if you'll do that, the Word will effectively work in you if you believe. So there's a process here by which you receive, you hear the word, you receive it, you welcome it as treasure it for what it is, the word of God, and when you'll do that, then you'll allow the word, because the word will work in you to produce its results, to do things in you you can't do, and to do that you have to believe. Okay, now, as they received it and believed it, the word was able to work in them. So, okay, let's go, let's begin to look at some of this. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. 
Now, chapter 3, we're not going to show it up there, but chapter 3 begins by talking about in these last days, perilous times will come. Well, if, if, if Paul thought they were in perilous times then, how much more are we in perilous times now? And he said, in the last days, so we're closer to the last days than he were, perilous times will come. And he goes down and lists a whole bunch of things that were going on there about people being, unse- people being selfish, people being God pl- men-pleasers rather than God-pleasers, really describes the time we're, turning, we're living in now. And he goes into chapter, into verse 13, he's going to pick up here. But evil men and imposters, he's talking about in the church, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you've learned and being assured of them, knowing from whom you've learned them. So he's saying in order to get, go back to verse 14, in order to go through this perilous times where there's people around you deceiving, I mean, if you, if you, there's so much out there, I'm talking about in Christian TV, Christian radio, so much out there. One person says one thing, somebody else says just the opposite. Well, what is it? People have their own pet ideas. People will take their own doctrine and enforce their own doctrine through the Word. You've got to learn to have discernment. And you've got to also learn to be careful who it is you're listening to. Not everything on Christian radio, not everything on Christian TV is, is, is inspired by God. And so how do, what do I do? It's our responsibility to become grounded in the Word so that we can discern that. You, sh- you shouldn't just take everything I say. You ought to learn to take it and measure it by the Word of God. This is what I endeavor to do, but I'm not perfect. So you must continue to do this. You must continue in the things which you have learned. Well, to do that, you have to have learned them. And be assured of them, knowing from whom you've learned them. So he's talking about you've got to, in these difficult times, in order to get through this and to succeed, you've got to continue in what you know. And then you've got to have confidence in it, being assured of it. Because you can have times when you, am I crazy? Am I the only one that's, that's, that believes this? this? You know, what a, we begin to question ourselves, question what we've heard, being assured of it. Okay, knowing from whom you've learned them. Now verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. So what Paul is encouraging Timothy, Timothy was a young pastor, most likely the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which was going through a very difficult time. Timothy was, 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 was criticized for his youth. He questioned himself at times. So Paul in the beginning has to encourage Timothy, don't let people despise your youth. So Timothy was questioning himself. He's dealing at a very difficult time with what's going on in the churches, what's going on, tremendous persecution. The government was a mess. And, and so Paul is encouraging him. And this is kind of his farewell letter to him. And so he's saying, and what you've got to go back to to be firm is the Holy Scriptures, which, were able to, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Now, salvation there doesn't just refer to going to heaven. It means the fullness of everything God's done for us through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, verse 16. And now he's going to talk about 
the Holy Scriptures. Why Timothy can trust them. Why Timothy needs to turn to the Word of God. He's not saying turn to the Word of God just to encourage yourself. He's not saying turn to your favorite Scriptures just to feel reassured. He says this is the foundation of your life. This is the foundation I laid in your life. This is the foundation what you got from your grandmother and your mother. He says that earlier. He says and this is what I'm calling you back to. And he says this is why the Scriptures, this is why the Word of God is the foundation to call keep you steady and calm. In the times we're living in and the times that most likely are facing us, the only way you're going to know what's truth is is to have this word in you. Is to have this word in you. Because he talks about deceivers. A deceiver is somebody that you think is telling you the truth, but they're not. Because if you know they were a deceiver, they wouldn't be deceiving you. Everybody follow that? Okay, so in order to tell what's deception, what's the truth, what's real, what's not real, you have to be grounded in this word. Not just read it, grounded in it. Okay, and this is what he's calling him to. And now he tells him why. All scripture, all scripture, all scripture, even the begats. <laughs> I don't like the begats. I tend to skip down. But all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, what's that mean? The Greek word for inspiration is a Greek word that's a combination of Deo, which is God, and pneuma, which is spirit, or breathe. So that word literally means God breathed. And that's what inspire means, is to breathe in or breathe out. So, it's the, in Greek, this is saying, all Scripture is God-breathed. And I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. What does it mean that it's God-breathed? First of all, that means it's not man's ideas. It's coming from God. You said, but it's, it, you know... <laughs> Well, let's take this little side. I don't mean to get into tonight whether you can trust it or not. I'm just talking tonight about what it is. But sometimes people say, well, yeah, it can't be, it can't be God's Word because it, it contradicts itself. No, it doesn't. It complements itself, but it doesn't contradict itself. The Bible is written by the Spirit of God, which is God's Spirit, breathing it by inspiration into different men and then they wrote down what God inspired them. And so this is God breathed. It's not even God's ideas. It's not that God sat down and wrote a book. This is God breathed. I'm trying to get across to you. There's something I see in my heart. I want to get across to you. When God took that very first man and formed him out of the dust of the earth back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, in verse 7 it says, He breathed in him. And he became a living soul. What brought that pile of dirt alive was the breath of God, the breath of life coming into him. And so the word of God is God's breathing. It's God breathing on us. It's God speaking to us. God is a God that communicates with us. But God's words are not just words like my words and your words that just give pass on ideas. There's life in God's words. There's power in God's words. And we'll see that in, in, a, in a little while. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it's, it's God breathe. It's God breathe. His very words 
contain his, his very words contain his authority and his power. It is literally God speaking to me. Now, it involves the Holy Spirit to do that. But from God's side, this is God communicating to us. So here's why this is important, because we're talking about what is this word to you. If it's a bunch of theological ideas, then we can debate them. I was a philosophy major in college, and that's all they did. They just debated other men's ideas. And I came to the conclusion at the end of my studies, they didn't know what they were talking about. But they just enjoyed debating, which I love debating anyway. So that was a great exercise, but it didn't move us along to truth. Because if you stop and think about it, where does truth come from? It doesn't come from me, and it doesn't come from you, so why, how would I think I can discover truth on my own, and you discover truth on your own? It has to be revealed to us by God. That's why the Gospel of John talks about light. The first John talks about, in Him was light, or John 1 says, in, John 1 says, in Him was light, and the light was the light of the world. God is light. God is truth. And, and what we do is discover that truth. We don't create the truth. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to lose you here. It's profitable. So all Scripture, because it is breathed by God to us, is profitable for us. For what? Doctrine, which is the things we've talked about. For reproof, which is to correct us. Correction and instruction in righteousness. So God's Word is breathed by Him, and it's intended to be profitable to us for our growing in our maturing, for our correction, for our encouragement. We'll see that somewhere else. Okay. All Scripture is profitable. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, that means mature, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So where does our equipping come from? Where does our equipping come from? It comes from receiving in our hearts the God-breathed Word which will change us and transform us. Is everybody following me so far? Or just asleep? Okay, okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, what is it, what's the significance that it, it's God who's speaking? What's the significance that it's God who's speaking? There's a, there's a story in Old Testament where um, uh, Saul is the king of, of Israel. And uh, he's already messed up once. And now... Uh, Samuel has told him that before they get into battle, the prophet Samuel has told him, before they get into battle, you need to wait, and I'm going to come and perform a sacrifice so that you can, so that you can, uh, you can win in the battle. And Saul waits the time that Samuel had prescribed, and, and what happens then is that, uh, um, wrong story, forget it, wrong story. <laughs> this is where God told Samuel to tell Saul to go defeat the Amalekites. And it's, I don't want to get into why, but God's instructions, God's word to them was to utterly destroy them, completely destroy them, all their livestock. I don't want to get into why. It's not our job to question why God. God told him to do that. And when, 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 when Samuel shows up, uh, he hears sheep bleeding. Well, what happened is the night before, God spoke to him and told him that Saul did not destroy all the Amalekites. He kept the best of the animals and he preserved Agag who was the king. And so Samuel shows up and says, you know, did you do what God said to do? And he says, I, I, I did it. 
And then Samuel says, well, what are the sheep I hear bleeding? And he has him bring out Agag. Agag. And what, what, Samuel, what Saul says is, I almost performed what God said. And so what he gets into is this discussion with Samuel about what the best way to handle the situation was. In other words, he was saying, look, I had a good idea about this. It would be good to keep the best of the sheep because we're going to offer them as a sacrifice to God. So basically what he's saying is, God told me his idea, and I've got my idea of what will work. And Saul, Samuel explains to Saul, that does not work with God. See, with God we don't get into a discussion or a debate. I knew as a young, I was the oldest of five boys, and therefore I was the one appointed to go deal with my mother <laughs> and to kind of negotiate things with her because I had figured what I thought were ways around her. And so I could get in discussions with her instead of just doing what she said to do. And we think we can do that with God. Oh, we wouldn't come outright and do it, but we'll, we'll delay things. We'll try to think of other ways to do things. Um, and, and so the significance of understanding that this is God's word to us is that it's not something that we sit here and debate with God. If this is going to have an authority and work in our lives, we have to accept it as God speaking to us. So I can tell this is really popular tonight. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I think we hit the right subject. Okay. It's not a debate about the various ideas or the various points. It's, it's not... It's, he's the one... He's the one we have to stand before. He's the one who has to give an account. The, the, the clearest example I know of, and I go back over this, it, 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 I, I, I'm, I shouldn't be frustrated as a pastor because I'm a pastor and you deal with people. Jesus told his disciples, and it's in the Word in a number of places, this is my commandment. So this is God speaking to us. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another. Not the world. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes the world's easier. As I have loved you. This is my commandment. And I hear Christians arguing with it. Attitude. I don't have to do that. I don't need to forgive them. I heard this statement by a teacher a, few, a while ago, and it really struck me, and that's part of what I think is behind this. He's talking about Christians that have been around for a while. He said, so many Christians I know don't let the Word of God interfere with what they believe. I believe this because this is what my church believes. I believe this because this is what, this is what my denomination believes. I believe this because this is what so-and-so teaches. I and I don't care what the Word of God says. This is what I believe. I want to I get you to imagine a picture. And I'm not talking to you tonight. I'm talking to the people that didn't come. So you can tell them what they should have come and heard. Okay, so don't, you, can, you can relax a little bit. This is not for you tonight. This is for the people that are not sitting in the chairs next to you. Imagine standing before God, which we all will do, 
and tell him that. I know you said it, but. I know you said it, but. This is just one of those strange nights. I'm going off in different directions. I'm learning, I'm learning to prepare myself for that day. I'm learning to picture it, that I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to answer for certain things. I'm not scared of it, but I want to be serious about it. I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to answer for you. I'm going to answer not for whether you received it, but I'm going to answer for whether I told it to you in love. I'm going to answer for certain things as a husband. I'm going to answer for certain things as a father. And and I'm not going to be able to stand there with excuses because you're not looking at a judge who's in a black robe. You're looking at truth himself. There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 3 that talks about our works will be tested by fire. My own view of that, that's just me, I don't think it's a holy blowtorch. You know, we stand in line and you next... And what's left, what's left was gold. No, I don't believe it's a whole. I believe it is the eyes of Jesus. The eyes of truth. And I'm going to show it to you in a few minutes if we have time. That cut right through everything. We've got to learn to begin to live our lives and not afraid of it. But with a holy reverence for that. So that I can't just do what I want to do. I can but I will give an account for it someday. And so will you. We'll give an account for what we did with the Word. Did I receive it? Did I welcome it? Did I put it in my heart? Okay. Let's go to Isaiah 55. This is moving on faster than I thought it would. So they received it as God breathed. So we're looking at what does this mean that this is God talking to us? This is God breathed. Isaiah 55. Very familiar verses. This is why so many Christians are struggling because their lives are not based on the Word of God. It is not the authority in their life. What's the authority in their life is how they feel. I just don't feel like I can do that. I don't feel like I can forgive that person. It just looks impossible. But if God has commanded us to it, we can do it. He didn't say feel like it. He said do it. You do it and you'll begin to feel like it. Isaiah 55 verse 10. For as the rain comes... What's appropriate for tonight? As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there but it waters the earth and makes it bring forth... forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth so he's using the example that the rain we're getting now as much as we're getting a lot of rain all at once this rain is going to help the foliage this rain is going to help my grass green again this rain is needed for the crops rain is needed at certain times of the year of the of the harvest season for the crops that's why the bible talks in the old testament days about the early and the latter rain and that's used as a symbol for the outpouring of the holy spirit the first outpouring of the holy spirit and the latter outpouring of the holy spirit which is what we're hopefully starting or in the middle of or is coming soon 
So it's so the word, but but the point here is the the rain. Just as rain doesn't come down here without producing some results, in the same way, my word that goes out of my mouth, notice it comes out of his mouth, not out of his mind. God speaks it. God speaks his word. Now he doesn't do it with an audible voice, although he has on occasion. He does it primarily through his word. He does it through his spirit that lives in us. It shall not return to me void, empty. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So what we're about to look at, this word has within it God's power and God's ability to produce whatever it promises. It has within it the power Just because God says so, it has the power in the Word to produce exactly what He says. Let me give you a couple of examples. Jesus is going to the other side of the lake, and He told His disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake, and He goes up on the mountain to pray. And a storm comes up, a terrible storm comes up. It's so bad that they think they're going to sink. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. In Matthew's account, it says they're afraid, as it does in the other accounts. And, and Peter cries out and says, "Who?" and he says, don't worry, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. You know the story. Bid me to come. And what does Jesus say? Come. He says, come. Just a word. He didn't give Peter a rowboat. He didn't give him a life jacket. He simply spoke a word. Come. Peter has a decision to make. That's the word of God to him. He could just take it as a word of encouragement. Say, oh guys, I feel so much better. That's Jesus out there. I know it's Jesus because he said come. That may be what the other eleven did. But Peter had to choose what he was going to do with that word. They may have been sitting in the boat and said, Boy, I believe. I believe Peter's, Jesus said, Come. I believe we could do this. I believe we could walk on water because Jesus said, Come. But they're going to stay in that boat and they're not going to walk on water. But one of them decided to do what? To receive it as the Word of God. He decided to receive it as a word spoken to him And he decided to receive it as God's word to him that contained the power to to perform what it said. So what did Peter do? The scriptures say he got down out of the boat and walked on water. And I've often tried to imagine what that was like, to put myself in Peter's shoes or sandals or whatever he had on. You know, he climbs over the side. They, they knew these were their boats. Climbs over the side of the boat, you know, and this isn't a storm. And he's sitting on the edge of the boat and it's going up and down. And he's got a decision to make. He's much in a much riskier position than the other 11. They're in the safety, relative safety of the boat. But Peter's got his legs over the side now. But at some point, so, so you can be there. You can say, yep, I believe what Jesus said. Look, I'm like everybody, I'm like everybody else. I'm getting out of the boat. But you're still sitting on the edge of the boat. You're still trusting in the boat. And that boat they had experience with. 
They knew that boat would float. Now, it was in some danger, but they had confidence in the boat. Why? Because they had experience with boats. They knew that wood floats. They knew that boats float. So they were safe place was in that boat, what their reasoning told them. But Jesus had spoken a word, and that word was come. They had the word of God spoke, breathed to them. And now they have to, he has to choose, they have to choose, what do I do with that? Do I receive that as a word spoken to me that I can now act on? Or do I just say, boy, that's a nice word we heard today. Boy, did we hear a good word today. Or did we receive it? This is why James, Paul talks, or James talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only. Because when you just hear and don't do, you deceive yourself. We'll talk about that down the road. So what does Peter do? Peter, at some point, has to decide he's going to act on that word come. And so he stands up over the side of the boat and steps down onto that water that he knew well, and he walks. We don't know how far he went, but it says he walked on the water. Actually, Peter walked on the word come, because you can't walk on water. If you don't believe that, we got a pond out here. (laughs) Peter walked on the authority of the word come. And he could do that because he received it as a word from God that now he could act on and trust. So, so shall my word, it shall accomplish what I sent it to do. You've got to begin to think of the word of God as the same word that created the universe. In Genesis 1 it says, and God said, let there be. He didn't send a bunch of angels to Lowe's or Home Depot. He didn't go on Amazon and get a build your world kit, a universe kit. Out of nothing, God spoke. And the Bible says the universe is still held together by the power of those words. It's still expanding. Our sciences are discovering this universe is expanding. Why? Where's the energy that that's coming from? What was the Big Bang? God said. It was a sudden burst of energy. Out of nothing came millions of things. Simply because God said. And God has said to us things that have just as much power just as much authority as when God said, let there be, as when Jesus said, come, come, come. It shall prosper in the thing for which he sent it. Now back in, in go back to, to, um, to Second Timothy chapter 3. We'll probably end with this. Notice that it's profitable. Go to verse uh, 16. Yeah. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's spoken by God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Verse 17. That the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this word, not only would it, if it's spoken to you to walk on water, can you do that? But this word is, is powerful to do even more miraculous things than having you walk on water. This word of God, as you'll receive it, 
as you'll embrace it, as you'll welcome it and take it into your heart and into your life, it will do far more dramatic and powerful things within you than it can do outwardly. It can break down walls in your heart. It can break down unforgiveness. It can break down unbelief. It can change the heart. It's changed millions of hearts of men and women that were hard and sinful and mean and nasty and changed them into new people. The Word of God is the power to do that. And God is at work in you, it says, and I think it's Philippians. God is at once to be at work in you to do His will. He's at work in you. Once you come to Christ and you receive the Holy Spirit in you, He's in you to conform you to the image of Christ. So He's working in you. He's got an assignment in you to take the Word you put in there and begin to use that Word to begin to bring changes about you because His assignment is to conform you to the image of Christ. That's His assignment from God. And we fight that. We argue with it. And then we don't give him much materials. The material he has to work with is the Word of God. So we read the Bible once a week. We read, you know, a proverb for the day. That's wonderful. But that's not much building material. That's not much building material. And he's at work in you to do that. He's in work in you to overcome fear. He's in work in you to overcome depression. He's at work in you to literally bring the life of God, the, 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 the Zoe, the eternal life of God, not just in you, but exuding out of you so that it affects the lives of other people. That's his work in you. That's his assignment in you. And he takes this word, the word of God, and uses it to produce in you so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's turn quickly to Hebrews chapter 4. And then next time we'll get into how this works and what you have to do to receive it. Hebrews chapter 4. Very familiar verse. We're going to pick up in verse 11. Therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest any of you fall by this entering to the same example of disobedient. For the Word of God, this is what we're talking about, is living. It's alive. I remember before I was saved, I was searching. God was wooing me, and I didn't realize it. I was searching. And the only thing I knew to do was to take my Bible, I've forgotten what it was at the time, I think it was a good news Bible or something like that, and trying and try to read it. And I couldn't understand it. I mean, I could read the words, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. Now, at that time, I was a successful lawyer in a large firm in Boston, and I could understand the Internal Revenue Code. So it wasn't, and I was a philosopher, it wasn't that I couldn't understand ideas, but I couldn't relate to this. It didn't mean anything to me. Remember the story in Acts where the Ethiopian, Philip, I think it's Philip, which goes over there and the Spirit of God takes him there and the Ethiopian says, I'm reading this, this scripture in Isaiah, I don't know what it means. And it took Philip, I think it was, to, to tell him that, to explain it to him. But the night I got saved, after I got saved, suddenly this book became alive to me. I couldn't put it down. 
I couldn't wait for everybody else to go to bed because I wanted to start reading my Bible. And some of you may remember days like that with you. And I'd stay up and I'd say, oh my gosh, it's one o'clock. I've got to get up right tomorrow. I've got to read a little bit more. And I go over the same. I remember, I, I, remember I, I, just, I don't know where I got this idea from. I decided to take a book. I took Ephesians. And I'm going to read this every night for a month. And my mind says, you won't make it. I mean, you won't make it through a week. Because you can't read. It's not that, it's not that long. It's only six chapters. You, you know, by the time you get to the end of the week, you know, you'll be ready for something else. I must have gone for two months reading that every night. I'll still do it. I'll, have, I'll take a, a week and just read that every day. Every time I get, I get something out of it. Why is that? Because this book is alive. It speaks to where you are. You're, there's a verse in Romans 8 where it says, your spirit bears witness. When I read some of these things, it goes off inside of me. Why? Because the author's living in there. The author of the book is living in there. If there are verses you can't understand, ask the author. You don't have to go to a book signing. Ask the author. He's living inside of you. But this is the living word. For the word of God is alive. It's living and it's powerful. That's what we've been talking about. It's powerful. The word of God is alive. So God is speaking to you today. Every time you open your Bible, even if it's the begats, God wants to speak. Now, there's some areas that are easy for him to speak out of than the begats, but God wants to speak to you. So the next time you open your Bible, whether it's tomorrow or tonight, start out by purposely saying, God, you're one, you, there's something in here I need to see. There's something in here I need to understand. See, I don't struggle to come up with messages. My biggest struggle is to decide which ones I'm getting to bring because this word goes off even... On a screen, I love doing this, because I'll be reading this in front of you, and something in there that I've read hundreds of times will begin to go off in me differently. Why? Because it's alive. Because God's alive. So you, you, you can read Shakespeare, you can read those old dead authors, and, and they're, not, they're not talking to you. You're reading what they wrote. This is God talking to you today. This is God, the hev- God of the heavens, who knows everything, who knows what you're going to need, who loves you more than you can begin to imagine. This God, every time you open that Bible, He wants to talk with you and communicate with you. And he, that's why it's alive. It's God, a living God, speaking to you through this. And it's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We're going to begin to look at that next time, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and it's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Did I give you verse 13? There's no creature hidden from his sight. This is why when we stand before God, there's no excuses. He sees everything, and he didn't wait to see it until you stood before him. He sees it now. But that's good news. I'm so glad for that, because I can play games with myself. I can hide from certain things. There are certain things in the Bible I may not want to look at. Why? Because if I see it, I'm responsible for it. So I may do like a smorgasbord and start at the other end where the desserts are, you know, and read the prosperity, prosperity scriptures and read the healing scriptures and read, you know, God loves me scriptures. And those are wonderful things. But there's some other scriptures I need to, which is what I'm responsible for. And those are the things that God's been having me read lately. Things that I'm responsible for. And you know, it's causing me to grow more than the other thing. I need those things, but it's the things that challenge me. So we're going to pick up with this, with this next time. So this is just an introduction. I want to challenge you 
to just examine yourself and say, okay, what, what does the Word of God mean to me in my life? And don't try to impress me and don't try to impress yourself and don't try to impress your spouse. This is for your benefit because to the extent you receive this as the Word of God spoken to you in your heart and you embrace it, that allows God to do His work in you, to benefit, bring His benefits to you, His peace, His victory, His maturing to you, to the extent that you, will, that you embrace it as God speaking to you. And so we're going to pray now and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so much. You've given us your word. And Lord, it may be for every one of us in this room right now, we have a slightly different vision of us. I don't know where everybody is. And we can change from day to day. But Father, we need, and I believe your Spirit's calling us, to come back to examine what place does this word have in my life. We're thankful, Father, that this word can encourage us and comfort us and strengthen us. But Lord, so many times, we confess so many times, we use this word for our purposes instead of allowing you to speak to us what we need to hear from you. So Lord, open the eyes of our heart and understanding to give us a a, a deeper and truer appreciation for this word that you have given to us and entrusted to us. We thank you, Father, for your patience. We thank you for the Spirit of God you've caused to live within us. And we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.